0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. If you were with us uh, last week, we began uh, a three-part message that is just looking like it's gonna be more and more parts, but I I am not, this is what's funny, I am not like a sermon series guy, I've never been, Um, but when the Lord led me to this passage, even in one verse, in one sentence, there are a couple of commas, and I felt there's so much gravitational pull on each segment, and so if you missed last week, it's, it's really important that you go back, not because it was a phenomenal sermon or anything, but because, but because of order. Because we can't really talk, and I'll hint at it and wink at it and point to it a couple of times, but we can't really understand what comes next without knowing what comes first. And so last week, just as a a nutshell, we talked about sainthood. We talked about coming away from that identity as sinners, sinners, even sinners saved by grace, and and stepping into what it means to be sainthood, uh, to be a sainthood. Uh, That's what the New Testament calls us. That's what the Lord calls us. That's what Jesus is coming back for, a bride in white. And so... I want to encourage you this morning that as the saints are being equipped, so that was the line we focused on last week, right? So Ephesians 4, uh, for the last year we've been teaching here and there and kind of pointing at the fivefold ministry gifts. We reorganized the church's operational ministries around these gifts, around uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in verse 12, it says their responsibility is to equip God's people Comma, to do the work of the ministry. And that may be a different, let's see. For the work of the service. Okay, so service, it's all translated from the same word. Uh, and that word literally is translated in most places as ministry, but it literally just means service or the meeting of needs. And so uh, I, wanna, I wanna spend some time on this, just this line, okay? What does it mean to be, what are we equipped for? equipped for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? And, and what does that look like for every single one of us? And so if you're writing things down, I wanna just kinda lay some groundwork here and say that we are called to a participation in ministry that is proportionate to the measure with which we have been equipped. That's different for every single believer. The consistent thing is that we are called to the work of the ministry, that we are equipped to the work of the ministry. But the difference is that we are called to participate in ministry to the measure, in proportion to the measure with which we've been equipped. And and it's really important to understand this because so often we like to draw a line in the sand somewhere, and especially as Americans, and we say, well, somebody's either qualified or they're not qualified. But... When Once we cross over into becoming a believer, there's this lifelong gray scale of what it means to be equipped and proportionately what it means to be called to the work of the ministry. And so we're going to take some time and talk through this. But last week when we talked about the word equip, um, we mentioned that it was found secularly in two areas of uh, industry, in the fishing industry and in the medical field. In the fishing industry, it meant the reparation of broken nets. And in the medical field, it meant the setting of broken bones. And we went kind of deep into why both of those are really significant. And uh, an, another, uh, another writer says that it also meant the, the repairing of broken relationships. Um, there's heavy stuff here. And it's important that we understand the sainthood piece and the equipping piece before we talk about the work of the ministry. Because... Too often we wanna jump straight to the work of the ministry or somewhere way deep in the work of the ministry without really being equipped to do so, but it's happening. All right, so after the fishing industry, after the medical industry, the, the lowest common denominator of this word equip is important for us this morning. And in general, without specific application, it means the providing of all necessary facilities for achieving a task. That is that Greek word katarmanzo. The providing of all necessary facilities for achieving a task. But how many of you know that when it comes to ministry, there are a lot of tasks? There are a lot of different areas. There are a lot of degrees to this thing that we call faith. And so I want to walk us through sort of a hypothetical here for just a moment. This may not be exactly your story. This may not have been the exact path in the exact order that your story went in, but I want to throw some things out here because you're gonna hear more and more about and from these fivefold ministry gifts as each ministry of this entire church rests squarely beneath the covering of one of these ministerial muscles. So let's just say an evangelist led you to the Lord. Maybe not a Billy Graham evangelist, maybe not a, maybe not a Tim Trafford evangelist, maybe it was just somebody who, who had the, the, uh, the burden for the lost somebody who was just sort of like an armchair weekend warrior evangelist who just, you, you were talking about your life one day and they just told you about Jesus and prayed the sinner's prayer with you right there on the spot. I want you to know that as an evangelist leads you to the Lord, he is already equipping you for the work of the ministry. That gift of evangelism is already at play, not just to to bring you the free gift of salvation, but to bring you the preparation for ministry. If an evangelist led you to the Lord, or if anybody led you to the Lord, you're already equipped. You're already equipped to share the gospel and your testimony. Well, shouldn't I write that down and have it approved by the elders? no, no. If an evangelist leads you to the Lord, you have already been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have already been exposed to the truth of the cross of Calvary. And God has already begun a transformational story in your life. It may just be the preface of a 150 chapter book but saints, we ought to be so excited that that book just got started that we'd be reading the jacket on the inside cover to everybody we met. Amen? Yeah. That's being equipped. And, and saints, it's that fast. And, and listen, on day one, no. You know, you'll meet those people and they're like, I got saved, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach, you know, you know, theology 301 right now. And it's like, well, no, there's probably some more equipping to happen before that. But by and large, the vast majority of us as believers, we, we, we struggle with that initial step of thinking that, that okay, this means that I, something is supposed to be coming out of me. As something came into me, something is supposed to be coming out of me. We're really concerned about the bad stuff coming out of us, aren't we? We're really concerned about getting rid of the stuff that, that makes us feel gross, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> But saints, we ought to be even more concerned about whatever that fresh life, that abundant life, that river of gladness that's flowing into us nonstop. My cup runneth over. Well, if it's really runneth overing, then who's it runnething overing on? Who's getting wet from your cup? As soon as you get saved. That seems kind of quick, Zach. That's the way it's meant to be. That's the way it's meant to be because the longer we go in not believing that we're qualified or equipped to do anything for the Lord, the longer we'll believe it. The longer we go, the longer we go. We're gonna talk more about that in a minute. I just don't wanna get ahead of myself. So let's just say that that evangelist then led you to the Lord and then led you through the doors of a church to be shepherded because that's what a true evangelist is gonna do, all right? He's not gonna be like, okay, now stay out here on the streets as a baby Christian and help me just lead people to the Lord. That's part of it, but more equipping needs to happen. And so let's just say, for giggles, that you came into a good church and you began to be counseled and comforted and discipled. Okay? Now, again, I know this isn't everybody's story, but I want to tell you the way that it's supposed to work and the way that I believe it's working right now. If you've been shepherded, really truly shepherded, if you've been counseled and comforted through the darkest seasons of your life, if, if some man or woman of God has come alongside you and discipled you through hard decisions, you have been exposed to the fivefold gift of pastoring. And if you have indeed been pastor, then you are equipped to love with the Father's heart. And when Jesus says, "You know, "Love your neighbor." <laughs> that doesn't just mean pray for him. That doesn't, that doesn't just mean hope that an evangelist comes along and leads them to the Lord. It doesn't just mean that you sit in a group with a bunch of other broken Christians and you don't pour out the comfort and the counsel and the discipling that the Lord has poured into you. That's what this is about. That's the equipping. Is it over yet? No. Do I need more? Yes. But can I begin already to pass this on? Of course. And I've heard people say, well, I don't know if I can disciple anybody because I don't even know if I'm a disciple. You're already believing the lie. That's right. You're already buying it. The thing that Satan has been peddling since Jesus stepped out of the tomb. This idea that we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. There are things we're not ready for. And heaven has not given them to us yet. But as the kingdom comes and as the Father's will is done in our lives then I want to affirm you, saints, in what you are ready for. You are ready for the work of the ministry. You are ready to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are ready to comfort and counsel and disciple and walk with people through seasons of their lives that the world wants them to end it all. And the Lord is saying, I'm just getting started. I need somebody to tell them. Okay. Okay. So let's just say that pastor, man, pastors are pastors are a gift. I was at, yeah, they are, they are. And I, I was at a, a celebration of life service yesterday for Paul Lingell, who's been a dear friend of our families for a hundred years. And um, Ron, that word that you shared, I'm never speaking at another funeral. You're the funeral guy. Sorry. You're welcome. Doggone it. That was so good. Did anybody ever ever preach a word and you're like, I'm never preaching again? That's a lie from the enemy. Don't believe it. But I was like, oh, my God, that was so good. I'm like getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. But at the end, Ashley was like, you know, Pastor and Martha Jackson are here. And I was like, wow, I got to see him. I haven't seen him in a few years, and and uh, Pastor Jackson is immortal. He he will live forever. And the guy, there's just he oozes shepherdship. He just oozes like the the gift of pastoring, and it's the right balance. It's not it's not like gross, messy, let people off the hook with things just so they feel better. It's like he'll sit across the desk from you and like look you right in the eye and tell you the way it's gotta be because he loves you that much. And, and saints, to, to, to be reminded of that is, is an encouragement to me, to be reminded and to sit in, in that church in Rehoboth and see row after row of people who were shepherded by that man who into their 70s and 80s are still loving the Lord and still serving him because of how they were pastored well. That's a gift. This church began with 40 people who that man pastored by the Spirit of God. And I believe that we're still carrying that counsel and that comfort and that discipleship today. That's how it lives on. That's how it grows. But a good pastor exposes us to a good teacher. And just as an evangelist will lead you to the doors of a church, a good pastor will lead you to the doors of a classroom. He will bring you to people who have the God-given anointing to teach the word of God. This is so important. It's not magic. It's just the way God made it to be, and it works. It doggone works. Good teaching exposes us to the word. That's the point of it. It's not to make our heads big. It's not to get us cocky or to think we've got it figured out. Good teaching exposes us to the word. And the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides the soul and the spirit. And I think we gloss over that really quickly, don't we, what the word of God really does? We gloss right over it, but I want you to know that that experience, that part of the journey is absolutely imperative because it's that separation of soulish things and spirit things that bring us into the place of next equipping. Too many believers, we go, we go through teaching to get the certificate or to check the box or to whatever or to be approved by man, whatever it is. None of these are necessarily wrong and when we're seeking them for ourselves, but, but uh, at the end of the day, Real spirit-led teaching, real spirit-empowered, anointed teaching, it is not just, okay, read this textbook, take this test, and score 70 or above. It is the division, the surgical precision of the separation of soul and spirit. That's what happens when we're really exposed to the Word, and we can begin to cut away from ourselves the fat. We can begin to remove from our lives the things that are the things that are are, are more our soul than our spirit. And I am convinced that the American church has gone without good teaching. Now, we've taken great pride in what we think is great teaching, and 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 we measure it by, you know, by uh, books and, and sales and followings and everything else. But at the end of the day, we're holding up a chicken soup for the soul next to our Bible and saying, eeny, meeny, miny soul. I just, I need something that's going to pick me up. I'm going to need a... I need to feel better. And so we'd rather read the authors who read the book, the real book, the Bible for themselves and have nice things to say about it. than we would allow real teaching to do that division within us ourselves. Good shepherding, good shepherding will not just comfort and counsel you. It will bring you before a teacher. It will bring you. Through the doors of the school of the spirit, it will bring you before men men and women of God who are so black and white. See, God in his grace, he'll give you a pastor first. (laughs) He'll give you a pastor first. If we all just went straight to the teacher, we'd either become Pharisees or we would fall off. Because there's no gray area in teaching. It's either truth or it's not. And that's my favorite thing about teachers. Um, And my wife is like that. She's just black or white. It's like, Zach, it either happened or it didn't happen. And I'm like, well, it's not that easy. (laughs) Lord, thank you for good teachers. Teachers equip us, saints. As pastors equipped us to love with the Father's heart, and evangelists have equipped us to share the gospel and our testimony, Teachers equip us to defend our convictions. That's what the word is for, right? That's what the word of God, it says it's useful for what? For teaching, training, rebuking, correcting, raising up, edifying, encouraging. The problem is, is so often teaching takes on some other identity and it, and it takes on the world's purpose of intellectualism. And we've allowed that to replace real spirit-empowered teaching, the gift of teaching. But saints, that's why a church has, has become the, the result, a church that cannot defend what it believes in. It knows what it believes, but it doesn't know why. That's why that's why Christian ethics is one of the classes that I told Pastor Kurt when we first started School of Spirit. I was like, There's gotta be an ethics class and it's gotta be Lilia Amaral that teaches it. Because nobody receives anything like they do from somebody with a Russian accent. <laughs> Out of fear. You know, fear. Okay. Okay Everybody else up here, I tell them what to sing. Lilia tells me what to sing. And then that I did it wrong anyway. Thank you, Lord, for teachers. We need to be able to defend our convictions. It's not good enough to just have convictions. That's good enough for you. But what the Lord has given us is something that's good enough for this world. It's good enough for New England. It's good enough for those around you who should be getting wet from your conviction not by shoving a Bible down their throat or condemning them to hell, but when they see your life lived out in peace, in joy, in abundance, your life as a saint in and of itself should be teaching these things, should be revealing these things. And teaching helps us to defend it. A good teacher then, once we, once we have allowed... This is so important. This is why these things go together. And I'm going to just do some work here for you. Um, Follow me. The next one on our list is the prophetic. And if you've been around church circles, if you've been around this country and a Christian for long enough, you know that most American churches are divided somewhere on this um, spectrum of teaching or prophecy. And there are a lot of like real fiery Pentecostal churches that just want to experience the power and the fever and the fire of heaven. And they, they sort of throw shade on the, the teaching heavy churches. And in the teaching heavy churches uh, kind of frown on the Pentecostals, calling them an inch uh, deep and a mile wide. Because the teachers are saying, no, we're going to go deep in the word. And I want you to know something, that I am on a rampage to end that. It will not live here. It has no place here. That's not, Our church is not going to pick teaching or prophecy, okay? Because God didn't teach, or he didn't pick teaching or prophecy. He didn't pick one, and he didn't tell us to pick one. Jesus said, I'm giving you five gifts, and every one of them will equip you. You want to know the biggest problem with the prophetic in the Pentecostal churches? If anybody can tell you, I'm the guy to tell you, okay? You know why? Because I am, like, unashamedly Pentecostal. Like, I'm like, I'm not one of these Pentecostals that, you know, only prays in tongues during tax season, all right? I I, I, I am, like, so, like like, adamant about Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the use, the function, the purpose, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, just don't try and stop me, okay? I will, that's one fight I'll win. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, the problem is when we get Pentecostal without having sat under good teaching... The soul things that were meant to be cut off from us, the soulish things, the feel-good things, we carry them in to the prophetic. And now our prophetic is is not pure. It's not clean. It's tainted by what we want or hope or what makes us feel better. And now you start to see some of the, the condemnation of the doom and gloom prophets, or you see the... You see the, the feel-good prophets who, who uh, you know, they'll hang their hat on the well. Prophecy is only to encourage and edify. And, and there's like all these things that we pull these things out of context from Scripture, and we're afraid to do anything else with it. Why? Because that thing, that piece of our soul is still connected. And the Lord says, take my word and cut the fat off. Take my word and separate from these things that which continues to taint and pollute the prophecy for today. Dublin. Uh, See, the prophetic is so important because it reconnects us to the voice of God if you're writing things down. The evangelist leads you to the Lord and equips you to share the gospel and your testimony. The pastor counsels comforts and disciples and equips you to love with the Father's heart to walk with other people through those seasons, those valleys, those nightmares. The teacher exposes us to the word, dividing soul and spirit. And in doing so, equips us to defend our convictions. But a good teacher will lead you to the house of a prophet. And a prophet reconnects us to the voice of God, equipping us to hear him and declare his word. Why is that so important? First of all, I wanna say that it was the voice of God, it was the the Holy Spirit that led us to the evangelist in the first place, amen? He says, the word says he loved us first. Before we even knew what to look for, he helped us find it, okay? And so he brought us to that place, but as we enter a journey, as we enter a journey of being equipped Something, uh, something uniquely human happens, where we start to we start to believe our own press, we start to see what God's doing, and we're looking at our fruit, admiring it, and we're starting to feel smarter and stronger and saintlier, hopefully. But that's why at this point the prophetic re-enters the picture and reconnects us to the voice of God because what happens is when we sit under teaching for too long that has some form of godliness but denies its power, when we sit under teaching for too long that refuses to bring us to the house of the prophet, that teaching begins to to conjure up in us this mindset that we can figure it out, that we can read a book and know what's going on. And if we don't know what's going on, it's because we haven't read the right book yet. And so you have men and women of God who want nothing more than to see the kingdom come. But instead of being reconnected to the voice of God, they have libraries upon libraries upon libraries of every book under the sun. Because a teacher taught them that they can figure it out. And somehow, like a CIA black ops file, they've gone through and blacked out lines like, his ways are higher than our ways. And the mysteries of God and the places in heaven that we might not get a glimpse of every day, but that's okay. We're being equipped anyway. And saints, in this, in this area, this is, this is so hard, this area. It's not just this area. It's the United States. This country has some very interesting, unique problems okay, with the church, all right? If you don't believe me, go on a missions trip somewhere outside the country. And, and you'll realize like, people don't struggle with a lot of the stuff that we're like, I can't figure this out. People in other countries, they're like, so? What makes you think, you know, your brain fits inside your skull. You're not gonna figure it out. And you're only using 10% of that. Yes. Wake us up, Lord the prophetic not it not only reconnects us to the voice of god but it then equips us in doing so it equips us to hear god for ourselves to walk in the prophetic that doesn't mean everybody in this room is going to hold the office of a prophet but what it means is that in hearing God and sensing the unction of heaven ourselves, we are then empowered and released to declare his word over our lives, over our homes, our marriages, the streets that we live on, the towns that we drive through to get to the town we're going to. Amen. And there's so much power in that. It's the same spirit. It's the same prophetic voice that came upon Elijah on, the, on Mount Horeb. When he faced off with all the prophets of Baal, it was the same spirit that that was on the bones of Elisha when they threw the dead kid in on him and he sprang back to life. It's the same spirit that filled Ezekiel and caused him to declare the word of the Lord and bring armies of bones back to life. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's looking for a mouthpiece. He's looking for a voice. He's looking for anyone who will declare that word again. And by God, we will not be a church that says, You're not ready. I'm not going to say it. Oh, Pastor. Oh, Pastor. If we're not ready, we'll cause more harm than good. Well, we might do damage. This is my favorite one. What if we get it wrong? I'm going to go ahead and fix that right now. You will get it wrong. Prophets, you will get it wrong. I love what Pastor John said uh, when he was up here in December and we did the Vantage Point Week. And Pastor John said, he said, "We are not a church with prophets; we are a church of prophets." Because last week, if you prayed that Sinner's Prayer with me at the end of the service, and we together, collectively, are saints, like the Bible says we are on this journey, we get exposed to the word of God and realize we can hear him for ourselves. And he imparts to us revelation that is necessary to see the kingdom come. Now, I wanna be clear on something. There is no new revelation, okay? There, you, will not, you will not be given the next book of the Bible, okay? That's not how it's gonna work. You will be given the next chapter of your life, and you will be given profound, yeah. profound revelation on what already does exist and how to apply that in a transformational way to your life. Right. When we talk about revelation in here, we don't think that we're getting things separate from and apart from scripture. We're, we're getting a firsthand commentary on, on what this means for us right now. Yes. And if we're not open to that, we're in big trouble. We are reverting back to the land of teaching that becomes powerless. Yeah, yeah. So when we're exposed to the prophetic and, and we're humbled with it, get out of the way. Because a group of people who are declaring his will, as long as there's been good teaching, there has to be good teaching. You see, you don't get this one without that one. Bad teaching equals bad prophetic. Okay? I think somebody called it prosthetic. <laughs> or like pathetic or something like that. There was some other deep theological description for prof- prophecy without teaching. Lord, help us cut that soul. God, those things, those broken things, the soul ties that we have to, to bad experiences that are affecting the way we prophesy in Jesus' name. We break that nonsense off from us right now. The blood of Jesus. Because see, that is what happens when there's too much soul still connected, the ways that we've been wounded. I, by the way, I, sp- I, I take a lot of Sundays and talk about like all the bad ways that things could have happened to us, and I'm up here repenting for the way that we've been wounded by ministries and pastors and men of God and women of God in the past that have lied and manipulated and, and done terrible things. This morning, I'm giving you the, the best case scenario. You're going through this journey and you're receiving good stuff. Teaching helps us, good teaching helps us to disconnect from the places that we've had our souls tied up and caught up in bad ministry experiences. And finally, a prophet that's worth his salt who is really hearing from the Lord and and verbalizing that will eventually bring us to a place of realization that we need the apostolic. What is the apostolic for? The apostolic, if you weren't here back in December, we had a a big definition up there and it's been kind of my working definition, but the apostolic puts all the pieces together to advance the kingdom. An apostle was not originally a Christian or theological word. An apostle was a a delegate from, from an empire like Rome, that would be sent into a place that was not under Roman rule yet. And with him would come people with various gifts, talents, abilities, experiences. He would have someone who came who was a blacksmith. He would have a doctor, a medical doctor. He would have um, teachers come to help set up educational systems. He would have uh, people who understood commerce and economy. And when they came and submitted under the covering, the leadership, Of that apostle, all of their gifts wove together to establish the kingdom in that place. That's how the Lord set it up. And so when we bring this thing full circle, what happens is, because here's the deal, all these ministries, let's just say you're a saint and you've made it all the way up through being pastored or being taught, and you've got good stuff to offer, and you're offering it out there like like willy-nilly, it, it, it might be like bearing fruit. Like there might be good stuff happening. I'm an evangelist. I'm leading people to the Lord left and right. But the problem is without the full five of the fivefold, we never end up repairing the nets. And so all these fish that were leading to the Lord never make it into the boat and never become part of the fish dinner. Right. And so, saints, again, that, that is why there's been such a, a satanic intention to divide the prophetic and apostolic away from the church. Right. There are books being published right now that, that uh, throw shade on, on apostolic movements and apostolic churches and, and, and people who are rediscovering the prophetic Books being written by people who think that they're bringing in the kingdom, but they're trying to do it some other way than the way Jesus said, here's how I'll build it. See why that's a problem? The apostolic equips us to be released to operate in the confidence of a covering. I just talked to uh, an awesome, powerful man of God this morning about, about a mighty call that the Lord gave him back in the 80s late 70s, early 80s, and he's like realizing now that when he had that call, he had to let it fall to the ground and die, and he was telling me this a number of weeks ago, and all I was thinking, he didn't bring that up, but I was thinking, unless a seed falls to the ground, unless a seed falls to the ground, and he said, Zach, I'm seeing now that when God first gave me that dream, I wasn't under an apostolic covering. He said, but what God's doing here, there's order and there's governance and there is peace for the seed, like the prophet Zechariah says. And now all of a sudden that thing that fell to the ground and died has an environment in which it can sprout and grow. And so I say that to say, you know, this is the governance. This is the order. This is the weaver's loom in which all of these strands are woven together. And it's not just a cord of one strand or two or three or four. When all five of these come together, it becomes the toe line by which the kingdom is brought into dock. It becomes the, the very cord that connects us to heaven and, and in which that we can participate in bringing heaven down. Does that make sense? Mosh, probably should be not asking that question. (laughs) I want to just close, um, with this other word in this line. Uh, but I want to just, again, I want to make sure that we understand that this circle, if you've been saved for a long time, you know that over the course of your walk with the Lord, he brings you back around to salvation. This probably happened to me a couple of times, like every, I don't know, like, like six to 10 years or something, the Lord has me like revisit salvation and I am re-exposed to, you know, maybe I'm listening to an evangelist speak or maybe I'm listening to somebody who, you know, just has an anointing for this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got saved and I like totally missed all that. Now I gotta get pastored again. Pastor Jackson, (laughs) now I gotta come full circle again. Man, I gotta get back in the word, I need, some, I need some teachers to, to teach me on this. I need to hear what the word of the Lord says about this. I need to keep cutting more fat off. Amen. Amen. I want you to know that soul care happens along the way. Revisiting things and, and, and rediscovering not just all the, the beautiful, wonderful things, but having your eyes open to the fact that, wait a minute, there's still stuff here. Okay, Lord, do it again. And we climb back up on the operating table. Soul care happens along the way. Mistakes happen along the way. But saints, I want you to know that when the sainthood is equipped and begins to engage in the work of ministry, the kingdom will come exponentially. Okay, the last thing before I let anybody go here. um, The other word here is work. (laughs) That's it. I like it. Hire that guy, whoever just said that. Work. These gifts are given for the equipping of saints for the work of the ministry. This word work, it might be one of the most misunderstood ideas, at least in our country. There are two erroneous extremes that I'll address first. Number one is one that I just call affectionately and very cliche, consumerism. Consumerism in the church looks like this, professionals, professional ministers, church employees, and church parishioners, attendees come, put a couple dollars in the box, and think that they're paying for a service to be rendered to them. This is a church not for the Father, not for the kingdom, and not for Jesus. This is a church for the saints. A church for the saints. And it is no different than any other service industry. We pay for a membership. We pay for a little bit of influence. And then we have a whole laundry list of expectations to go along with that. I want you to know things are getting very uncomfortable for consumeristic Christianity. And the longer we sit in that seat, the less and less it actually looks like faith. And The more and more it looks like American complacency people in this consumeristic mindset people go into work um, they go into work mode because they've made ministry work for vocational ministers so like it's like if you see the people on staff here as well, their job is ministry their their career is ministry, then that means if if you see it that way and that's your view, your perspective, then anytime you engage in ministry the way that we're supposed to, you do so with a work mindset. That this is gonna happen by the sweat of my brow, that it's gonna happen by the exhaustion of myself, the expenditure of my resources, and then you know, hopefully somebody notices and I get a pat on the back or a promotion or a position or whatever. Now, the other error kind of rides back and forth, these two, with each other. The other error is one error I, I will call uh, sacrificialism. I'm just making up names. They were different in the first service, but somebody didn't write these in my notes, so I don't know what to preach. So you see, the sacrificer makes a different mistake. The sacrificer believes that the church grows at the expense of the saints. Not just the ones who work there, but all of us. And so the sacrificer makes sacrifices. Sounds good, right? Until it's not. And so somebody that works an 8, 10, 12, 14-hour day at their real job to put food on the table is then guilted into or manipulated into or arm-twisted into, believing that they then have to show up at the church and put in another 6, 8, 10, 12 hours of work. And they do so again for some other reason than that the Lord has called them to do it. And it can justify it and excuse it. But what it renders is one more burnt out believer. One more burnt out. And and listen, if you think this morning that you're gonna get compassion from me for being burnt out, not today. Because that sacrifice was made in disobedience. Well the pastor told me I guys this is why we need to be hearing from the lord this is why we need to be able to defend our own convictions this is why when somebody asks us to do something we it's it's okay to say you know yeah let me let me bring that before the lord as long as that's not just a cop out to get out of it we we joke about that too that's like the go to i just need to pray about that for 6 months Word of God says that obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, too often, saints, we become a church. We become a church that makes sacrifice in rebellion. We make sacrifice out of order. We make sacrifices in disobedience, and our marriages pay for it, and our families pay for it. And ultimately, our walk with God pays for it because of the bitter taste that's left in our mouths. You wanna know the crazy thing about that word work? It comes from a Greek word, ergon. And that word is translated 13 times in the New Testament as work, work. Just like we're talking about work, like just work, go to work. But it's translated 149 times, 149 times as either acts or duty. And I believe that as I'm reading through this, I'm believing that it was never the Father's heart that this engagement and equipping for ministry means that we should be driving ourselves into the ground so that our families or our kids don't get the best of us. I believe that what it means is that as saints, real saints, that the work of the ministry becomes the simple acts, the simple deeds, The simple living out of our lives. See, why don't you stand with me? That's why we had to spend so long last week on the cross and on sainthood. Because when we're working for salvation, when we're still believing the lie that we've got to work our way or earn our way into heaven, then all the ministry that we do follows suit. It's how hard are you working? How much of a sacrifice are you making? I believe in sacrifice. We are called to sacrifice. I believe in in giving of ourselves and giving freely. But to give freely means that we have to be giving in freedom, freedom from the oppression of sin and the condemnation that goes along with it. When we're working for salvation, we'll work for ministry. But when we see ourselves as saints, we will function. And I want to close with this thought. In that book that I was telling you about, Mark Pfeiffer talks about work, and he gives an illustration that's too good to try and come up with my own, so I'm just gonna tell you his. He talks about work and function, and how there's a big difference. See, if you take a bird that flies through the air, you might look at it and say, Oh, that bird's wings work. But An ornithologist would challenge you and say, no, that bird's not actually working, it's functioning. Those wings are doing exactly what they were made to do. And that's why we look at it and we're like, oh, they fly all the way to where? Oh. But birds are like, it's another day at the office, functioning. Now, if you take that bird and you submerge it underwater, it's gonna work to stay alive. And it's going to keep working until it dies. It's not functioning. It's working. If you take a fish underwater, swimming, just gilling it up, you know, just in case you needed the visual. If you take a fish and you see it underwater, that fish is not working. That fish is functioning. It's living its best life. Now you put a hook through that fish's mouth and you pull it up onto the dock. Yeah. Yeah. That fish starts to work. Yes sir. Yes sir. And it's going to work until it either goes back to where it can function or until it dies. Saints, we are not called to work. We are called to the function of sainthood, a function for which these gifts equip us, prepare us and release us. And I believe that when the saints of God begin to function in the God-given callings and anointings that he alone can put on us, get out of the way. The kingdom's coming. So Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for these gifts. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't call us to, to, to some... Uh, partisanship where there are people who are professionals at this and and we just come and and have this thing done to us. God, we're giving up on that type of Christianity. Lord, we are giving up on that heresy and we are coming in, the saints are coming in, Lord, to be equipped so that when we march out, New England is changed for the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. We are believing it with our whole heart and we say have your way within us. Lord, I pray for hearts that receive Uh, the evangelistic burden of salvation and and, and testimony. God, that we take note of how we've been shepherded and discipled and counseled and comforted, and that we don't walk in fear of our ability, Lord, to to share that, to pass that on, to counsel this world in all of its brokenness. And God, I pray for those uh, who have tried to surpass or circumvent um, the gift of teaching. God, I pray that as Pentecostals, we would, we would get our nose back in the crack of this word and that we would study it until we know the truth like the back of our hand, God. And so we believe you to reveal that truth to us. God, I thank you for School of the Spirit. I thank you for King's Academy. God, I thank you for the Bible studies and the home groups and the and the, the places, God, where people have designated and dedicated their lives to knowing your word in the way, God, that it has allowed to separate and remove from us that which is unclean, God. We desire to walk in the spirit and not our flesh then father I pray God, for the church of New England that is rediscovering the prophetic even as we speak, Lord, for the restoration of the apostolic over these houses again, that we would see godly government come into play, that we would see gifts Lord, unfold that have been waiting in the wings, God, for apostolic covering and foundation upon which to build these things, we are believing it now, not for us, but for you, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth in New England as it is in heaven, in Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have the best day of your lives. We'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.